Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of About Pay. Um, I'm Caitlin Knopp, CEO and co-founder of Pequity, your all-in-one compensation system. And today, I'm really excited for our guest. He is someone I've worked with at previous companies. He's an amazing HR leader. He has an adorable dog named Ramen. Um, and if you <laughs> ever want to work in the autonomous vehicle space, he is the man to talk to in HR, uh, Tom. Tom Tang, he is here to talk to us today about all things compensation and his experience. But Tom, I'd love for you to also give a little intro to our audience about yourself and your background. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. Thanks, Caitlin. Um, I, I feel like uh, that was a really great intro. Appreciate you plugging uh, uh, Ramen in as well. He is a <laughs> uh, up and coming uh, social media influencer in the dog realm. So I'll, I'll have to shamelessly insert his Instagram handle at some point during, oh, this, please uh, do. during this call. <laughs> uh, but no, great to, uh, great to be uh, on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, as you know, you mentioned, uh, you and I have worked together for quite a bit in the past. A um, little bit about me. You know, I've been in the people space for a bunch of years, although I would say if you had asked me 10 years ago, um, would you have ever seen yourself working in people ops? I, I probably would have told you no. And, mm -hmm. and the reason for that is, um, you know, my background originally was in operations. And then uh, I spent a bunch of years uh, working in like a business development strategic partnerships type role. And, um, you know, I, I feel like back then, you know, HR was viewed as like, this function that manages like compliance and risk. And, mm -hmm. and it was like, if you were talking to HR, you were in trouble, right? It was yep. like, stay away <laughs> from HR, right? And so back then I was like, oh yeah, I, I don't think that that's like a group that I could ever see myself working in. But then I think what's been really interesting in the last decade is, you know, a lot of companies have realized the importance of people operations and how at the mm -hmm. end of the day, like people power everything, right? And so um, when I had an opportunity to, to jump into a people ops role, you know, by then I was sort of ready. I was burned out of like asking people for money all the time. And, <laughs> and what I realized is for me, um, it, it's really important to build meaningful relationships. And I thought a lot about, you know, how could I leverage that strength of mine to build amazing places to work where I would want to be, right? And, yep. and so, um, yeah, that, that's sort of uh, how I ended up in, in the people ops world and uh, excited to talk to you a little bit today about compensation. So excited. And for everyone to know, Tom and May Mobility is a customer of Pequity. So there could be some bias in why we are so in love with them over there. But before <laughs> we dive um, too far into um, just May and that comp process, I would love, Tom, to talk about you. Uh, one thing we love to ask our guests is about their first experience with getting paid. So I would love mm. to know, what was your first job? What were you paid? Um, and how, you know, what were your feelings around that? Like, what was it? How old were you? Give us all the details. <laughs> all right. I actually have two answers for this. Uh, and hopefully Ooh. I'm not getting anybody in trouble. Uh, but uh, first, first job where I was actually paid, um, I was, I was like 14, a freshman in high Ooh. school. And a friend of mine, his dad worked for, he doesn't work there anymore. So I, I don't think I'm going to get him in trouble. And I'm not going to name names. Yeah. Uh, but he worked Places. for a, he worked for a Nippon Electric Company or NEC. They're like a big Japanese um, kind of technology company, right? They make everything from like you know cell phones to like microwaves to TVs. Mm. <laughs> um, but they were also doing a lot of like um, government uh, contract work here in the states. And 
Um, at the time, this was like post 9-11, uh, they were working on technology to do like motion and facial tracking uh, for security systems. And so his dad, my friend's dad was like working on this project and he told him like, hey, I need like smart kids to just like label data to like draw boxes on people's <laughs> faces through security footage. He's like, do you guys, you know, do you have some friends that want to like come to our office and oh work God. like a couple of hours, you know, a couple of hours a week and, and we'll pay you like, you know, 12 bucks an hour or something like that. Plus there's like oh, snacks, man. snacks and hot <laughs> chocolate. Right. And we're like, oh, that sounds awesome. Right. And it felt so cool. Like I had a Honeywell security badge and felt really important and official, but oh, it was a little man. bit kind of um, under the table in the grand scheme of I things because <laughs> I don't think legally we were allowed to do that work. And so I have quietly contributed to the safety and the security of the United States um, unofficially. <laughs> so that was like my first, you know, real experience in terms of getting paid right outside of like mowing a lawn or, or babysitting. Uh, but my first like W-2 job came a couple years later. Um, I was 16. I, I got my work permit. And mm -hmm. um, well, Caitlin, you know this about me, but I'm, I'm a big like car junkie, right? Oh, and yeah. so <laughs> when I was a kid, I said like, oh, it'd be so cool to work in like a garage or a shop. And so um, the minute I got my work permit, I applied for a role at Jiffy Lube um, as a oh. <laughs> uh, oil change technician. And that was oh, my first, uh, that was my first job. And um, I don't know, it, they paid me like 1350 an hour or something like that. And I worked there Man. for like maybe under a year. Um, it was like much dirtier and, and not like the experience <laughs> that I expected. Um, but yeah, that was fun. So yeah, I have two. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, one uh, slightly illegal, of course, but very, <laughs> yep. I think everyone has a couple of those. Um, and then definitely, I'm sure it, you know, we all have that glamorous idea of what our first job's going to be. And we get in and we're like, oh, there's, yeah. there's like a dark side to this, a side that I don't want to do. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I'm sure with that first role as well, um, something we talk about a ton is negotiation and, mm. you know, how it feels when you get into it and you start to realize that there are differing ways that you can get paid. Uh, so do you remember your first role where you had to negotiate or you felt empowered to negotiate for your pay um, and when was that what did that feel like what kind of drove you to the conclusion of hey I'm, I'm going to lean into this now yeah I think um, I think that role was my first role after college so I'd, I had just um, you know graduated from uh, San Francisco State uh, I had a degree in, in management I minored in marketing and you know, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but for me, um, I, I think it's become a theme throughout my career is that um, I wanted to do something with like a greater purpose. And so mm -hmm. uh, as I sort of looked at companies that were hiring, I came across this really great nonprofit in, in San Francisco called Access Institute. Um, mm -hmm. They provide uh, low cost mental health care to the residents of the city. Um, and, and do so on kind of a sliding scale. So, uh, you know, depending on like how much income you make, like you, you paid what you could afford, which was really cool. And as an Asian American, um, someone who, you know, growing up, like the idea of mental health was, was a topic that was stigmatized. I, mm -hmm. I said like, hey, this could be a really cool way to give back and do something um, that made a difference. So they were hiring for like an office admin, you know, office uh, coordinator type role. And so I applied for it. I interviewed. Um, they had let me know upfront like what the pay range was. 
right? And and then when it came time to getting the offer, I noticed like I was on the bottom of the range that they had given Ooh. to me, right? There were, I, I forget what it was. I think they were like, it's it's pays between like, you know, 16 to $20 an hour or something like that. And, and they started at 16. They offered me 16. <laughs> and to be honest, I had, I had no idea that I could even negotiate for pay or to ask um, to, to mm-hmm. be paid more. So I was just happy to get a job. So I was like, cool, I got a job offer. This is what it pays. Like, you know, right. and, and, and I jumped into it. Right. Um, looking back, I, I definitely should have advocated for myself, but um, you know, the lessons we learn, right. <laughs> Absolutely. It's nerve wracking. You know, we encourage everyone to negotiate. It's really hard when you're new from school. Um, as we know on the other side of the table now, new grads usually have a very set bar because they are just fresh into the workforce. So mm-hmm. very difficult place to negotiate from. Um, but obviously you've come a long way since then now as the chief HR officer of May Mobility. So along that journey, you know, you've probably, you obviously transitioned through multiple roles, multiple situations where you're negotiating and now you're negotiating probably most actively on the other side of the table. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is a learning that you would give to that young Tom who just got that $16 an hour role um, and didn't advocate for himself? Like, what would you coach him on if you could today? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think I would definitely go back and uh, I would have told myself to at least ask, right? It, it seems like... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it comes to, to comp, uh, you, you at the very least want to um, ask the question of, of sort of what's possible. And uh, you want to bring really good reasons to that too, right? Not just right. like, hey, I want to make more money, right? But, you know, even with, with folks um, nowadays that I talk to, it's about like, you know, what is it about your experience, your skills, your ability to do the role that justifies you being paid sort of on the, you know, upper end of, mm-hmm. of the range, and also, what are your circumstances, right? I think at the end of the day, um, you know, no one wants to like get a job and feel like they're taking a haircut or, or sort of a step back, right, in terms right. of their their way of life. And so I think just helping people to understand, and even for me at the time, I was like trying to afford a tiny apartment in San Francisco, <laughs> oh, trying yeah. to pay back my student loans. It was like, hey, you know, a couple bucks more an hour actually would have gone a long way for me back then, right? So I, right. I wish I had been able to sort of advocate my, for myself in that way. <laughs> Lots of learnings there. I always like to point out um, a frequent thing we hear from candidates is how they're afraid to negotiate. They're afraid of like it getting rescinded. Uh, so I always bring up with guests, you know, what's the likelihood for you and your team rescinding an offer if someone negotiates? Zero. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we always appreciate when people advocate for themselves. Um, one of the cool things about, you know, comp at may is that philosophically we, we built a program that's a little bit different from probably a lot of the places that I've either seen or, or worked at myself. So, um, when I joined May uh, in, in my role, I spent some time getting to know Ed Olson, our, our founder and CEO. And at the time, I had received my own offer, right? Right. And, and when I received my offer, I kind of looked at it and, and ran the numbers and thought like, hey, I'm probably going to need a little bit more if I'm going to be like mm-hmm. living in California and, and for you know this to, to work. And at the time, Ed and I had a conversation about you know how 
um, how comp worked at, at May. And Ed let me know something that I thought was incredibly unique at the time, which was like May doesn't negotiate comp upfront with candidates. And I was like, oh, this is fascinating. Like, yeah. how, does that, how does that work? And, and how has the team been able to hire? And that's when Ed shared a personal anecdote with me that actually really resonated because I've literally experienced the same thing, right? What, what drove May to have that, you know, sort of rigid structure, if you will, at the time when I joined two years ago was this idea that the sort of meekest and the mildest, uh, you know, should deserve, you know, fair and equitable compensation, even if mm -hmm. they're not sort of able or comfortable speaking up for themselves or advocating for themselves, right? So Ed had mm -hmm. experienced something very similar in the past, and that motivated him to make sure that like everyone got a fair deal. And, and so for him, it was this thing about fairness, which, which was like, hey, if you're a good negotiator or whatnot, like you're not mm -hmm. going to come in the door and necessarily make more than somebody else who's coming in the door in the exact same role, right? Yeah. And I thought that that was really interesting because for myself, I had experienced the same thing. I was in a similar role or same role as somebody else, but having never realized that they, um, they had always had a leg up on me because they had done a better job of negotiating up front. So over the years, as we both, um, you know, progressed in our roles and, and got promoted and whatnot, I was always behind, like the gap actually sort of widened. And, and for me personally, that was, um, that was a bummer when I ended up learning about that, right? And, and that, you know, uh, caused me to, to actually change companies. So uh, sorry, that's like the long-winded context yeah. of, of our philosophy, right? It, it's deeply personal here at May. And so when someone does uh, advocate for themselves, we first like to explain our philosophy, right? Which mm -hmm. is, um, you know, while a lot of companies have a set ban for a role, um, you know, they typically start the offer off low and, and sort of expect that the person will negotiate. You have a couple of rounds yeah. of back and forth and, and you wind up somewhere in the middle. We yeah. don't do that here, right? So what we do is um, uh, after someone finishes their interview process, after the debrief with the team, we take a look at, you know, their skills, experience, the conversations, uh, along the way. And we make what we believe is like the best, most um, competitive offer out of the gate. And we let folks know why we do that. And, and oftentimes I would say, you know, four out of five um, times people totally get it and they understand the, the philosophy that we have in mm -hmm. terms of like pay for performance once you're here. And, you know, people are jazzed and, and they're like, Hey, I get it. And, and like, you know, they, they typically run with the offer. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. I love that. Uh, it obviously very aligned with what we advocate for people to think through, you know, when you're thinking of your philosophy and how you explain it. So take note listeners, this is a great example of a way to run a good comp program. Um, and, you know, the thing I think that's cool about May, we're in a weird market. You know, this is October, 2022. Everyone's predicting a recession in the next six months. And mm -hmm. it's, I think they've been predicting it for the past six months. So um, Lord knows when they're actually going to declare it. Uh, but May is still growing pretty rapidly, which is really neat to see. Um, and I'd love to learn and you know talk about your guys' growth and what you're seeing and how you're maintaining such a robust comp program, even with this growth, because we both know that that's, that's the challenge, right? Like scaling yeah. a good program. Yeah, yeah. I, I think... Um... You know, one of the ways in which our comp, um, you know, has has been able to be sustainable or scalable is that we took kind of the 
long-term view approach, right? So mm -hmm. I would say like a year ago, um, you know, when, when the job market was hot, when the economy was hot, um, you were hearing a lot about candidates that were receiving, you know, pretty ridiculous offers, right? Oh, and, yeah. and even even within our employee population, you know, given that we're in the autonomous vehicle industry, like competition for, for talent is incredibly fierce, right? And, and mm -hmm. companies were doing a lot of kind of cross poaching, if you will, right? I heard a lot of stories about people getting yep. kind of insane offers to, to hop across, you know, the street to go work in the same job somewhere else. And, and we ran into that too, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what was interesting is that, um, we always have that conversation internally too around like, hey, if someone critical or, or you know, someone um, really important to the company or to the team gets some insane offer, like, do we counter, right? And, and philosophically yeah. for us, the answer is actually almost always no. Um, yeah. You know, we're big believers in, again, that fairness and equity, right? And so, you know, if we were to do that for one person, the sort of, um, the system kind of falls apart, right? Because then yeah. how is it fair to everyone else that's in that, you know, that's in that role. Um, but with regards to like our hiring and growth, I talked about how last year things were crazy, right? And yeah. I think with that though, there was a cost, right? There were, there were a lot of these companies that were paying, um, you know, over market, right? And, and considerably mm -hmm. so, and that's not sustainable, right? At the end no. of the day, you know, one, five, 20, a hundred of those, your cash burn rate is, is insane. And so mm -hmm. we're starting to see that now, right? There are a lot of companies um, specifically in our space that are unable to sustain their cash burn rate. And now in the macroeconomic climate are also struggling uh, to raise another round, right? Or if they oh, do, yeah they risk raising a down round. And we all know that that's sort of like the <laughs> signal of death, right? For a yep. startup. And, and so while that has been happening, May has been the sort of like slow and steady, we stick to our guns, we stick to our philosophy. Um, you know, we, we manage ourselves in a way that's really fiscally responsible and, and is done in a way where um, we can afford to continue to grow because we never sort of went outside of our principles to do things that wouldn't be sustainable, right? So yeah. while a lot of companies have been freezing hiring or reducing their workforce, um, you know, we've continued to grow. I think we're, we're planning to add um, uh, another 10% between now and the end of the year. So in the next three Ooh. months, still, <laughs> right, we're, we're still going to be growing. And we're going to uh, probably add another 50% uh, in the oh, next man. year in 2023. Yeah, so we're about 250 employees uh, right now. We'll end the year probably around like, you know, uh, 275, 280. And then we're wow. gonna add another, um, another like 140 folks next year. So we'll, we'll be above 400 by, uh, by January of 2024. <laughs> oh my God, that's massive. I remember when you started, I think May was at 100, sub 100 employees. Sub a hundred. Yeah. I think I was officially like employee 79 or something like that. So, uh, but yeah, we we've grown quite a bit. It's, it's been a really wild ride. <laughs> it's exciting to see, um, you know, obviously we're, we're excited for you at Packity, but it's good to see responsible people get rewarded for it. I actually saw, um, um, I saw a article that was Mark Cuban and he, um, I liked his description where he was like, last year was the party this year is the hangover. <laughs> yeah that's, that's accurate that's good I like that it's a very it feels real um, and we do see a lot of companies with that 
hangover aspect that you're talking about. Yeah. And it's very valid. I mean, it's not validating. I feel bad for them. Um, and Peckley obviously sure. is here to help what they sure. need, but we stuck to our guns a lot in the past year of similar to you when people ask, it's like, hey, you know, you have to be responsible. You have to take the long-term vision. You can't, you know, when inflation was at seven, eight percent, we saw companies tacking that just on pure to their salaries, even though, you know, I like to always tell people if you looked at the market surveys. At the 50th percentile, the most we were seeing for some roles was like a 5% increase. And mm-hmm. once you got above the 50th percentile, so these top paying tech companies that May goes up against, mm-hmm. they weren't increasing their cash that much. It was like mm-hmm. 3% for the big companies, but people wanted to ignore it. They did it anyways. And it's painful. You can't lower cash very easily once you give it to someone. The only solution is to turn them out. And that is painful for the employee. It's painful for the company. Yeah. So huge shout out to May. We love to see you guys thrive and have this opportunity. And, you know, leaning into a bit more of your pay philosophy, you guys are growing, you have this great program, you're hiring in a lot of different locations. Uh, and some of which I'm sure where you have to consider the new pay transparency laws that are mm-hmm. coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, and May, you know, you guys have a very responsible program. We've seen and heard how you think through it and the way you're sharing your philosophy with candidates. But are you adapting any of your programs to accommodate for these new laws? Or how is your team uh, preparing or thinking about the new legislation that specifically in New York and California is stating mm-hmm. you have to post ranges, a min and a max, on mm-hmm. all job postings? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good question. We've been, like like probably many companies, sort of following this closely. Um, uh, right now at, at May, we don't yet have in-house uh, legal, so we partner with a really great um, uh, international in- employment firm as well that that is sort of at the forefront of not only um, you know following some of the laws and trends, but also being great partners to us in terms of giving us, I, I would say, like sound counsel, right, in terms mm-hmm. of you know what we should do, and uh, definitely have noticed that you know this is the direction that we're headed in, right? I feel like. Um, when it comes to uh, government, uh, typically you have like a couple of trailblazers and then everyone yeah. <laughs> ends up just kind of doing the same thing, right? So we're fully expecting uh, that to happen. Um, you know, with regards to, to just like pay transparency and, and you know, sharing the, the min and the max, I, I personally don't think it's a bad thing. I know that the change in the transition will be uncomfortable for many and will be a bit yeah. bumpy, but I think in mm-hmm. the long run, I definitely see the value um, that being upfront can can play in really helping everyone, right? Sort of both sides of the table, if you will. You know, for a candidate, you know, I've experienced it personally as well, where, you know, you get super excited about a role, right? You know, mm-hmm. the recruiter that you may be working with is like, yeah, yeah, no problem. You know, they've asked you for kind of your expectations or what you're thinking. And they're like, yeah, yeah, it's not going to be an issue. And then you get to the end and you get this offer and it's like wildly off from, from yeah. <laughs> kind of like, you know, what you needed. And it's like, well, what happened? Right. And and then they're like, well, you know, this is kind of, you know, the max budget or whatever. And, and you know, yeah. unfortunately it is what it is. And it's like, wow, I just spent the last, you know, six weeks, like, you know, interviewing with you guys yeah. and, and like, I don't know, making a case study or whatever else, like doing all of this work. And, and it's a bummer to get to the end and realize like we're, we're too far off, right. To, to mm-hmm. kind of close the gap. And I would say for companies, it, it's the same, right. Um, uh, I've definitely experienced it 
you know, hiring for roles myself and also seeing for some of the roles that we've hired for where candidates say, you know, like up front, like, hey, you know, I'm willing to be flexible. What I really care about is the role, right? And, and, and then they get to the end and realize like, they're also just, you know, too far off in terms of comp, in terms of what works for them. So I think it saves us all time up front. Like that's probably one yeah. of the immediate benefits um, that jumps to mind. Um, but then, you know, as someone that cares a lot about kind of like social equity and, and you know, fairness, right, as, mm-hmm. as like a core personal philosophy, I think it, it will do a lot, you know, over time to kind of level the playing field and, and make yep. sure that we're not wildly off, right? You always hear about these sort of horror stories where, you know, someone who, again, was, was good at negotiating and it was a company where, you know, they didn't necessarily, um, you know, have the same philosophy as May, like, wildly overpaid somebody else and and that just is so crappy to me like that never yeah right no and I love that you bring up the example of like the recruiter you have the interview and they give you a number and then you get in they can't give you the number um and small plug obviously we see you know you guys are using Pequity and I I really attribute like the reason we wanted to I wanted to build Pequity is I saw that play out time and time again where teams didn't have access to a system to view the ranges and they didn't have an mm-hmm. access to a system to draft an offer. Um, and they didn't have an access to even to a system to run a comp cycle. And that lack of information to your point on pay transparency is what drove it. The recruiter was just saying a number that they thought they could get either based on previous offers they had made or based on what they kind of anticipated they could get in the budget. Mm-hmm. And it, it always led to a letdown. Right. Um, so I agree. I like the pay transparency laws we already leaned into it with the platform that we built. um, And I'm excited that there's going to be some backing. Um, And, you know, something I think would be interesting to ask you, and I know we have to wrap up here pretty soon, but being in the autonomous vehicle space, we worked in it together at Cruise. You're now deep in it at May. It's wild, right? Like we're talking about comps where the equity valuation that you're giving people, it's real because you have these major car companies backing it. But then it's a very long horizon, right? Where to get some of this value, you have to wait for the cars to get on the road and we're waiting on federal regulation. And there's this challenge of communicating value, getting to the value, balancing that. And then it's just super competitive between these top companies. So I would love to know, you know, what is unique to you about this industry when it comes to comp and how is your team navigating that? You know, I think one of the things that jumped out at me um, when you were talking was that for a lot of players in the AV space, they are having to, um, one, really proactively move the needle on on kind of the regulatory side of things, right, to be able to deploy mm-hmm. because um, many of the companies in the space are, are building this sort of robo-taxi business model, right? Mm-hmm. It's essentially, it's an Uber or Lyft, but without the driver in it. Um, what makes May unique uh, in, in this space is that we don't have to wait for that because we're already working with um, many of the local, state, and federal agencies to deploy uh, microtransit or mobility in communities where we are uh, another layer of option, if you will, for people who mm-hmm. are living there, right? So you can walk, you can bike. Um, if, if there's a bus, you can take that, um, you know, if there's light rail or subway, but May does a lot to really serve that kind of last mile, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for the people who, you know, at the end of the line or whatever else, you still need to get to your house or, or wherever you need to go. And, and that's right. what we're doing, right? 
when it comes to uh, competing for, for talent and, and compensation, I think that's another one of the things that makes May uh, uniquely positioned to be attractive, right? At mm-hmm. the end of the day, I, I'm always the first to say to people that I talk to, like, May is not for everybody and startups aren't for everybody, right? I yeah. often talk to <laughs> candidates who are working in, like big established public companies and they're like, hey, you know, I have a hard time accepting this risk profile, right? Because, you know, to your point, like the the equity that you get here at a startup like May isn't liquid yet, right? And yeah. so while there's all this potential and all of this possible growth, you know, for someone who, let's say like they have a large family or they're like the sole earner, they may have a harder time justifying that risk, right? And yeah. while we are very competitive on, on the cash side, um, obviously a majority of the sort of overall compensation isn't in, in that equity piece, right? In terms of what that can, can be worth someday. And that's where I think May comes in mm-hmm. because a lot of the AV players are betting on the fact that the cost per mile is going to come significantly down or they're just going to be operating the red for a bunch of years, right, to capture market share. As we yeah. all know, that's not a sustainable business model, right? We saw yeah. Uber do that years ago and they're finally, their, their unit economics are finally good now, but what's happened? Their users have dropped significantly, right? Even personally yeah. for me, I'm like, hey, if I want to get from this side of San Francisco to the other, like, and all of a sudden my Uber ride is now like $27, I may yeah. reconsider even doing that, right? I may be like, mm-hmm. oh, let me go grab a scooter instead or something, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've seen that play out and that is definitely going to be a challenge for a lot of the AV players, but it's not for May in the sense that we've built our business to be sustainable, to be commercially viable now, which is mm-hmm. why we've launched in, in nine cities, right? Eight of those wow. in the United States, one over in Japan, We have a bunch of launches that are slated for the next several years. So I think in the macroeconomic climate, if you look at sort of what investors care about now, right, using that quote of last year was the party, now is the hangover. Yeah. (laughs) There's still money out there, right? Investors are still willing to bet on on AVs and, and what can happen here. But I think they are no longer betting on like, the dream that the tech is just going to magically work someday and then it's all going to come together. Now yeah. they care a lot about what is your path to profitability? What is your commercial game plan? How are you going to go to market? And those are all the things that we're doing right, I think. And so yeah. that makes us really attractive, right? And so having that context, I think then gives candidates a much greater sense of confidence that like, hey, the equity that I have here at May Mobility and the equity that I will, I will continue to receive, you know, for service, for performance, et cetera, is going to steadily grow, right? Again, yeah. it may not be that hockey stick sort of unicorn status right away that people are used to, but we've all seen what's happened to some of those, right? And, yeah. and so I think that's where May really stands out and it's uh, enabled us to, to get some really great talent and hopefully um, folks will continue to consider us when they're thinking about a role in the AV space. I love that. Excellent explanation. I think it's a nuance that people can miss. So definitely if anyone's considering May Mobility, listen to this. It's a wonderful way to, Tom, just like share it with your recruiters. <laughs> so right. the last question we like to give is kind of a fun one. Um, but we like to ask, is there anyone you'd want to shine a spotlight on someone in the industry or, uh, that you've worked with and where can we find them and what are they doing where they deserve this spotlight? Hmm. It's a really good question. Um, I think you might actually know my answer. I was thinking about this, um, the other day too, in terms of like 
who was someone that was really like formative in my career and, and actually was the one who helped get me into the people op space. So I'd have to nominate, if she's not already on your radar, McKenna Moreau, who I worked yes. with um, at Cruise. <laughs> she, it, uh, it took her 12 months to convince me to come and work with her at Cruise. We had worked together in the past. Um, she was the oh, one who really kind of, you know, got me thinking about people operations um, tremendous leader, great personal friend. And, and I think she'd be an awesome guest for your show. Um, I'm guessing she may be on your radar, but I don't know. Oh, you know, McKenna is pretty fantastic. So she yeah. may or may not be on the radar, but shout out to McKenna. Agreed. Thumbs up all around for um, her as a leader and getting us both, I think, onto the same team. She built an awesome team is where we got to meet. That's right. Um, so wonderful spotlight. Uh, and with that, that's our show. Thank you so much, Tom, for joining us. Really appreciate yeah. your time and for sharing such a really like in-depth perspective on so many comp topics. Yeah, thank you, Caitlin. This was uh, really fun. Appreciate the invitation and uh, excited to see more or hear more of these episodes. This was really great.